Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, I'm one of your regular hosts, Nigeria's Best, and co-hosting with me is Phoenix Agenda. Uh, this week we have three guests. Our first guest is Rila Maboy. Rila Maboy is a management consultant and former special advisor to the Irish Minister for Justice. Our second guest is Contributions. Contributions is a PhD public health researcher in America. And our third guest is a public affairs strategist at Gatefield, whose his name is Adewumi. Uh, so, well, the three big stories this week that we're going to be discussing are firstly, the crackdown on NSARS protesters by the government. Secondly, we'll discuss the Sharia law uh, prosecution of a Kaniwood actress, uh, Rahama Sadal, by the Nigerian police. And thirdly, we'll discuss the US elections and its impact on Nigeria. So firstly to Phoenix, the NSARS protest has, while it has subsided and the government has set up panels, there seems to be retribution. The government is attacking or persecuting various entities and individuals who took part in the protests. Various accounts have been frozen, including the accounts of Gatefield TV that, uh, or Gatefields that uh, Adeomi works with. So to Phoenix, first of all, what is going on? The government, um, Buhari, when they gave that speech, said they had listened to what the protesters were demanding. So what, what is behind this sudden crackdown? on the protesters. Hi, Nigeria's Best, and uh, hi, Rila Maboy, um, Adeomi, and Contributions. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, listeners. Um, when you ask me what's going on, it's just, you know, a, a few things come to mind. F firstly, I'll say, I mean, I'm not surprised because it's, it's to be expected that this government, if you look at how they've behaved over the past over the five, five and a half years that they've been in office and, and shown disregard for um, constitutional rights, um, shown disregard for human rights. I mean, the, the attack on the Shiites comes to mind. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that they will go down this path. And, and when people kept saying that, I mean, they have no trust in the government, um, when, when people who were saying that the protests were going on for too long, the government has answered and has said that they would, they would address the issue. Um, IGP has announced that he has uh, dissolved or disbanded SARS and he has ordered them to Abuja. And we kept saying no. I mean, until you see concrete action and positive action, the protests had to continue. I mean, you, you're seeing now the government now beginning to to lash out at people. And the other thing that comes to my mind is, you know, this insistence on who are your leaders? Who are the leaders? Let's, let's know the leaders. Why? I mean, I mean they need, we need to know the leaders so that the government has a focal point to talk to. No, the government wanted a focal point to intimidate and, and, and harass. I said this on this show a, a few times, and now we're seeing it. You have a government of the day who's been asked to put in check a rogue police unit that is attacking innocent Nigerians. That government took that as an, as, as, as an affront 
and sent soldiers to go and fire on peaceful protesters. As if that is not enough, they, are now, they now start harassing citizens, stopping people at the airport, seizing their passports, blocking accounts. And now we're hearing that they are picking up people um, randomly, people who have been part of the protests and all of that. And, and you know, it, for me, I've been saying this from day one, and even the reason why I always voted against Buhari from 2003 was always because I knew that a leopard doesn't change his spots. You know fully well what you're going to get with this guy. And so I'm not surprised. And, and it, it, was just, it just takes me back to the conversations between 2014 and 2015 that I privately I had with, with friends and all of that and said, look, why would this guy all of a sudden become electable when we've already seen what he's done in the past? Oh, reformed Demo Democrat, they said all sort of nonsense. And here we see it. A constitutionally provided and protected right to protest, right to peaceful assembly has become an issue. People, I mean, they've, they've turned, it, turned it upside down and now saying that people were calling for regime change. There were subversive actions simply because they asked you to end SARS. They didn't even come to you and say, you're a... You're an incompetent government, which is what I, what I, what I say every day. You, you are not able to provide. Um, unemployment has tripled. Uh, inflation is, is skyrocketing almost 20%. People are not even fighting for those normal, you know, politically charged things. They were simply fighting for the right to leave. And this government has decided that, no, they're going to crack down. Not only have they refused to address the issues that were raised in a democracy, a 21 year strong democracy, they've decided that they must punish the people who dare to ask. And we don't know where it's gonna stop. What, 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 I mean, next thing you will know, people will start disappearing. After all, Daddy Yata has been missing for almost two years now. Nobody knows where he is. So when you ask me what's going wrong, it's, it's, just, it's just, you know, you have a despotic regime that is now, you know, showing its true colors. And, and the call is on Nigerians to stand firm and stand together and, and remember that, I mean, we've, we've been there before and we prevailed and we will prevail again. Well, thank you, Phoenix. I, I quite agree that uh, all the things that are happening, the, the, the clampdowns, the account freezes are, are quintessential Buhari. This is his nature to constantly uh, of, of, uh, deny people their fundamental human rights. But it's just surprising that uh, things just deteriorated so quickly. But at this stage, I, I'll bring in uh, Domi because Domi, you're a public affairs strategist at Gatefield and your firm's account was one of the accounts frozen uh, by the Nigerian government. So the, the, the first question, Domi, is how did you discover uh, first of all, that your accounts have been frozen. What can you talk us through the, the steps? What actually happened? Um, thanks, Nigeria's best. Uh, so we just found out that our transactions were not um, processing. It was on the fifteenth um, of October, and we couldn't do anything on our online banking application, which we. Um, used to conduct transactions to our various um, partners, clients, or vendors. And um, 
immediately that happened, we had cause to suspect that the government had done something about it. Well, we um, decided to speak to our bank and the bank was a bit um, coy. They had mentioned that, oh, there's a routine compliance measure and your account has been temporary res temporarily restricted. Um, we'll come back to you with the details. Um, I like to say the name of the bank because we need to let the public know about these institutions that have gone rogue. This is Access Bank. Yeah. Um, Access Bank um, told us that it was routine compliance. Then they later changed um, their position and said some of our documents which we had submitted when we opened the account were missing. And this was an account for um, we've been running for seven years. And we asked them, why would you say um, records are missing? Do you keep your um, data on paper? Could your database just be wiped out? And we insisted we were not going to give them that back. So it took a few more days, maybe um, two, three, four days. We had already found out from our contacts within um, the CBN that was an instruction from the CBN. So we sent a legal notice to Access Bank and uh, give them 12 hours to restore the account. Um, otherwise would um, go ahead to court. Um, so they refused to respond to this until we went to court and they immediately rushed, sending us a letter on the 26th of October, um, telling us that it was an instruction from the central bank and we should liaise with the central bank to get accounts restored. Um, it was at this point that we had the documentary evidence that it was really the CBN besides what we have always um, heard from our contacts. Um, so we decided to go public um, with the suit we filed. And um, when Bloomberg carried the news, we realized that there was panic at the CBN. They realized that um, the world now knows about this. We need to cover up. So the CBN rushed to get um, an ex parte order, a weird one at that one for 90 days starting in um, November 5th to restrict our account. And that was essentially like the kind of um, weapon that we needed to, to make a very strong case in our lawsuit against Access Bank because it showed that the Banking and Financial Institutions Act of the country had been violated because that act mandates that before um, an account can be restricted, even if it's one, for a criminal enterprise, you would need a court order. So for a legitimate business as ours, for a legitimate organization that provided um, journalistic support, financing for journalists to report around stories on police brutality, um, did not engage in any subversive act against the state, um, getting our accounts frozen without any court order showed that the government was not just a rogue and that's very typical, but that Access Bank was complicit and was ready to be used by the government to do things illegally. And for us, that um, was happened so far. And the way we, we perceive things just generally, we need to say to people, I mean, they got an, um, a court order for about 19 um, individuals and um, including our own entity. But what I know and what we know for fact, just because um, I like to say this on the podcast, a lot of people within the, C within the CBN are rooting for us. They are willing to give us information. They give us information, they keep sharing information. 
because they believe that Governor Mefiele has gone rogue and they would not want to see the CBN lose its independence. And the kind of information we have from these sources is that over 500 accounts were restricted. Um, some of the big non-government organizations in Nigeria, I wouldn't speak for them because they haven't gone public with it, but authoritatively, some of them, their accounts have been frozen as well. So this is a very um, massive clampdown that you can imagine. Um, it's sweeping, it's affected individuals, even people that were um, responding to medical supplies, and it shows how cruel the state is willing to go. Uh, for Gatefield, Gatefield could potentially survive. Um, we have started to edge, we've started to um, see how we can change our operations, how we can have our, um, our reserves in like cryptocurrency. We're taking like big decisions as a result of this. But there are a lot of individuals who like depend on this account, who earn less than 10,000 Naira a month. And the central bank governor says, oh, I'm trying to boost the economy. I'm fighting poverty. I'm supporting small businesses. But in the same breath, it goes and clamps down on accounts of legitimate businesses, of nonprofit organizations that provide um, support to the government, even on accountability issues, that provide support to people on healthcare issues, just out of panic that these organizations or entities might be remotely involved with a simple protest that calls for the end to police brutality. I mean, sometimes it feels like answers seems very loaded, but the simplistic ask of the Nigerian people is stop killing us. But the government somehow thinks that's very offensive and they're responding in unbelievable ways. I mean, I mean that's our story. Um, that's the story that's going on in Nigeria. That's the real picture. A lot of people are scared. Um, a lot of people have been called aside by the DSS. Um, a lot of people can't fly, as you know already. And it just gives us a cause for concern about where um, the future of, this, of the state, where the ship is sailing towards, what the future holds for, for Nigeria. No, no, thank you uh, for this, uh, Domi, because like you said, it, it is truly shocking that the banks would freeze the accounts of Nigerian citizens without following due process. Uh, Real number boy, I know you're a management consultant and you have a good understanding of financial systems, but what do you think is going on? Uh, Godwin Demefele, as Adeomi says, seems to be going rogue. I, I presume is in cahoots with the Buhari government to break their own laws. Is that correct? Well, um, I, I tell you just hearing from Adeomi just now, I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked uh, to the extent in which um, specifically the governor of the CBN have waded into political matters even if, if, if not security matters. Um, the extent in which they went to procure a court order after verbal instructions or whatever instructions to the banks or whatever that was, because it is, there is hardly, I don't believe there's any action a bank in Nigeria would take without directives from the CBN. And, and that has been confirmed 
by one of uh, of the of the victims of a crime because a crime has been committed. Uh, this is a crime against the constitution. This is a crime against people. This is a crime against our democracy, and it's a crime against freedom. And somebody ought to be held accountable. And I am I, I can say categorically here that in the court of public opinion, in my own opinion, the CBN current CBN governor. Godwin MFL stands culpable in trying to reverse the gains that we have made as a nation from the dark and traumatic days of military dictatorship in Nigeria to the days now that we are in a democracy that he himself has become a beneficiary of the freedom that a whole lot of people fought for to guarantee our rights as citizens to live under a constitution and not military decrees. And Godwin Emefele and his enablers and his co-conspirators have gone ahead to foist on Nigeria a new dictatorship because that is what it is. I have uh, seen on uh, Twitter, uh, on Facebook, in news reports about uh, targeting and blocking of accounts, but I've never really heard it so vividly like we've heard from Dewumi right now and his organization. Practically, I can imagine that when we are talking about terrorist organization, because we have in Nigeria, the security systems have designated some uh, organizations as uh, those supporting terrorism. We know about MEND back in the day. We know about uh, Boko Haram and maybe recently IPOL. You know, if you target these organizations that have been militant in their approach in confrontation, there is no organization that has been mentioned and listed so far that has, or individuals that are involved in anything, anything other than to preserve and protect the lives of Nigerians, to protest against brutality of the police and to enhance our democracy. And anybody that fights against that, anybody that supports or provides infrastructure to fight against that is the enemy of the people. I mean, we've talked about the regime, the government of Buhari, his personal disposition and his dictatorial tendencies. We know his history. We know where he is coming from. And he has brought along people with him in the security services that have the same mindset. If you start at the customs, you have Colonel uh, Hamid Ali. If you go to the National Security Advisor, you have retired General Muguno. You, if you go to the Minister of Defense, and these are securocrats, these are people who we are steeped, baked in that very uh, dirty aroma of Nigerian military dictatorial past. And if they have come into this democratic government under the guise of the Ashong APC, to now force on Nigerians a new level of repression, because what is happening right now, what we are talking about is essentially repressive tendencies, not tendencies, repressive actions of a government that has gone rogue, turned its back on democracy. Yesterday, uh, the president in Turi's Twitter handle was congratulating uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, in United States of America and pontificating over what democracy means in, uh, in US and maybe in different countries. Perhaps, it's time we call Buhari governments to, uh, to look down, gaze down and reverse course because this course will bear no 
we bear no 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 reward for themselves. It will bear no reward for government. It is entrenching a new climate of fear in Nigeria, and I'm very sad. I'm very hurt as somebody who has been a victim of military dictatorship, as somebody who have actually suffered for democracy. I am personally very hurt to learn that these kind of repressive actions are taking place and it is unconscionable and it must be condemned in all its entirety. No, I thank you, my boy. I 100% agree. We are, we are back to the, we're more or less back to the dark days of General Abacha. Many of his key lieutenants, including Buhari, are now in power and we can see their, their DNA and antecedents. Uh, they seem to be doing what they've always uh, done. Uh, contributions, uh, segueing into our, moving into the, the second topic, which is slightly related to the first, which is the re-emergence of Sharia, of, of political Sharia into the mainstream Nigerian politics. All of a sudden, uh, actresses or popular personalities of northern origin are now being harassed, not just by the local Sharia police who they call the Hezbollah, but the Nigerian police force are now also implementing Sharia rules. So firstly, is, is, this, is this normal for, for a so-called secular democracy to have rules uh, restricting the way uh, Nigerian women dress? Um, unfortunately, I think the answer is uh, yes, it is normal. Uh, it is normal because we're not exactly democracy in Nigeria. Um, we, I think that Nigeria over the years, um, since maybe colonial times passed into, uh, uh, what you call it, independence, we've refused to have a sit down discussion with ourselves and ask ourselves, what type of people are we? Um, what we're seeing, and, and you said it, um, the, the first discussion is close, closely tied and closely related to the second discussion. Uh, and what ties them together is that we are a people and we believe in authoritarianism. We believe in power. And so um, being that that's the kind of people we are, it does not matter what a contract uh, what contract is in place between two entities or between the government and its people. It does not matter that there's rule of law. What matters for Nigeria is that there are powerful people and there are less powerful people, or that there are powerful entities and less powerful entities, and the powerful entities can abuse power as much as they like. So when we're talking about Buhari, for instance, or we are talking about the president of Nigeria, we are not even talking about whether the presidency is bound by certain laws. Rather, we are prevailing on an individual not to take certain steps. And, and that's not how you describe a democracy. That's not how democracy functions. So moving away from how Buhari is dealing with SARS protesters, we see the same picture in Kano with this woman who wore what I believe is a really beautiful dress. And it's the same behavior. It is an abuse of power. And so 
not only have they used the religious police, which really should not exist, they've used the secular police force uh, to harass this woman. Uh, it's just a continuation of this behavior of power. And uh, if we're going to change things, we have to deal with the issue or with the issues, not from how close it is to the matter we are discussing, not whether Buhari needs to behave himself, not whether the Kano State Governor or the Kano State Police Commissioner has to behave himself. It really is more distal. We have to start having discussions about what type of people are we? If we are a people, if we are feudalist people, if we are a people, uh, if we are a patronage system, once we have these discussions with ourselves and come to terms with the reality on ground, then we can start building systems of checks and balances, not based on some foreign uh, ideology, not based on some imposed ideology, but ground up from what we decide. This is who we are. These are the power groups. These are the in-groups. These are the patronage systems. And here are the checks and balances that we can all agree around to check and balance us and prevent this abuse of power, whether it's uh, freedom of expression in terms of dress or freedom of expression in terms of the ability to protest. Well, thank you contributions. I think the one point you've raised that I agree with is the idea that Nigerians need to sit down and ask the fundamental question, which is, who are we? And I'll bring in uh, Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix, contributions have said, Nigerians need to ask the question, who are we? Because as you can, as you can see from the story, one half of the country seems to be pulling in a different direction from the other. Almost every year, there's a debate about what role Sharia or religious rules should play in Nigerian, in the Nigerian public space, and how the laws or the law authorities should be treating religious uh, beliefs. So, so do you agree? Do you agree that we need to have this conversation then as to who are we? We we need to have the conversation, but we have had the conversation, haven't we? The, the problem is is that I mean there has been no. Um, there has been no opportunity to move the conversations forward. We've had how many constitutional conferences? We had a very clear outcome from the one in 2014. And then all of a sudden there was a change in government that left the reports gathering dust on the shelf, simply because the people who came in have a different view of how they see the country. So absolutely, we need to have the conversation. Absolutely, we've had, we've had those conversations and they are clear parameters for us to move forward. It is very clear that we're a country that uh, we don't all see things the same way, which is fine, but we must show respect for one another. I mean, when people say we are a secular country, I've, I always disagree with that. I think we're a multi-religious country. We're not, we're not secular by any means because the Nigerian state recognizes religion it, and, 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 and invokes it. I mean, Go to government events there's always prayer at least for the two major religions so there, there is a sense that we we recognize religion and we elevate it in, in state affairs but the fact is that even as we do that 
we, we are still a common law country. And in that sense, there is still the overarching um, constitution and legal framework that protects everybody. Now, the, the challenge we have is because those, I think it was 12 states or so, or maybe more, I can't remember now, in the North who have embraced Sharia law. But what the law allows is that if you're not, if you're not a Muslim, then you're not, you're not held um, to those dictates. And people have a choice as to where they can choose to live in Nigeria and, and, and you know, vote with their feet and totally repudiate this if they don't agree with. I think the bigger issue for me is the point that you initially raised, which is now having the Nigerian police force enforcing that. That is unacceptable. Well, you see, I, 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 the problem I have is when, when we, have a, we have a legislature that is merely there to just go and feather their nest. And, and that's where the agitation needs to begin. And maybe after all of these things, I mean, we can begin to educate ourselves and let our people begin to focus in the right direction. Surely in that, in that legislative assembly, in, in, in the National Assembly in Abuja, there are people of all faiths, right? There are people from the north, there are people from the south. Why do, why do the people who are not, I mean, you can even say that, okay, maybe the Muslims accept this as part of Sharia law. Why do the people who are non-Muslims accept this and do not, do not cause a furor in the National Assembly, on the floor of the National Assembly, I say this is not acceptable. Why would the Nigerian police force be enforcing Sharia law, which is not the law of the land? They are bound by the constitution. The constitution does not recognize Sharia law. So why, why would the Nigerian police force be getting involved in that? You know, that, that is, and that is the question that, our, that you expect our lawmakers to be asking and to be challenging. But you see, even the guys who are in opposition go there and they do nothing. They don't even, we the, we the citizens are holding the government to account. You expect that people who are in opposition will join, will see that as an, as an opportunity to also do their job and hold their, their I mean, their, 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 their opponents or whatever we want to call them to account, but they also go there and sit down and do nothing. No, no, thank you, Phoenix. I, I think you're, I think, I think you're right. Uh, the, the legislature should be raising hell and querying what the Nigerian police is, is doing. And Adeomi, I know you're a public affairs strategist. So this is your your area of uh, expertise. When you meet with legislators in Abuja, does the question about Nigeria's secularism ever come up? Are they concerned that we haven't settled the issue that Sharia or religious law seems to be creeping in to matters that should be firmly secular? Um, I think we need to um, establish the fact the first thing is that historically, the um, Nigerian parliament or the Nigerian government has been divided. Uh, a lot of people trace this to uh, what they call a mistake of 1914. And we are not just a unified um, country. We are not united. Um, there's the real idea of the Nigerian Muslim North and the Nigerian Christian South. And it's something that continues to dominate uh, policy and political discourse in the country. That has been brought when P 
people were arguing for um, or against the VAP, uh, VAPP Act, which is the Violence Against Prohibited Persons Act, and even the Gender Equality Act, or the act that we called, um, or the bill we called Child, um, Child No Bride. And people continue to make religious arguments um, across the spectrum. Um, recently, the Northern Governors Forum also released a statement that they invoked ethnicity and religion to quell the end-SARS protest in the North, which was a place where we saw largely pro-SARS protests. So the fundamental thing is that we need to understand first that there is something called political Sharia. And what is happening in Nigeria today is really scary. It's scarier than we imagine things are. So everybody is saying um, Rama Sadao um, is being persecuted for posting uh, photos that exposed her body. Um, and I agree with the uh, with conversations that it was a very fantastic and beautiful picture. Um, the conversation is deeper than that because the person who filed the appeal against her invoked the term blasphemy. And that's very serious given the context that in March 2020, someone called Yaya Sharif Aminu was sentenced to death by hanging. So they are essentially trying to murder Rahama. It's what it is. It's not about indecent dressing. What we are seeing is like a slow descent into fascism. And that's caused by the tone at the top. And something about fascism, it's a form of authoritarianism that the government permits. Buhari has shown his tendency to have this idea of the inner group and the outer group, which is one of the um, tenets of fascism. Buhari is the same president that says, 97% versus the 5%, uh, my people my people versus your own people. And that's something we are starting to see. So what you are seeing is a lot of actors who are either close to the president or within his inner circle, because we are seeing a government of cabals have been emboldened to impose their own will on society and show that they can use the um, agency of the state to invoke the kind of rule that they want. So we are flirting with fascism in Nigeria. We just really need to see it for what it is. And when you look at the elements of what um, makes fascism fascism, there's something about the superiority of the leader. People believe that the tone at the top, the way the leader sees things, is he a fundamentalist? This is a president that has refused to condemn the various acts of radicalism that started since 2016. Remember that a Christian lady was murdered in Kano State. And what was the reason they said she was intolerant? She said something that annoyed them, that she said something that wasn't polite about the prophet. And what was the president's response? He said, Nigerians should learn to respect each other. Essentially, it made the both sides argument. So what we are seeing is that everybody's listening to the president, is channeling the passions of these people. And what he sees is that by channeling these passions, he's able to maintain power because he has that sort of theocracy going on. People see him as a prophet. People see him as somebody that cannot fail even when everything is going wrong, even when people are dying in the north. 
they believe that is clean and everybody else is dirty. So that's superiority of the leader and that um, silence that seems to be an endorsement of the actions of the various people in the country that make very inciting remarks. We have seen people telling Southerners to leave the North. Um, these are people who are affiliated with the presidency. We have seen um, people who have condemned the Nigerian law. Uh, we have seen people who have rejected the um, arguments for the police not to brutalize citizens, people like the Murik um, group. And the president embraces these characters. And it shows that he's rewarding violence, people who are ready to be violent against each other, um, people who have committed extrajudicial murders, people like Colonel Bello, people like General Boratai, have been rewarded with, um, with extended tenures. So the state as we see it is fundamentally being driven by a fascist agenda that begins with the president. So anytime we try to cherry pick on the various issues, it's something that is a microcosm of a bigger picture um, that Nigerians really need to, to stand and think about. And I think it goes beyond the conversation because if we are being honest, if we are being frank, the only way to go about it is for the country to really restructure. It's beyond the conversation now. People need to start to decide the future of their zones. If the South wants to be governed um, under a secular law, under freedom and liberty, and the North wants a theocratic government, if they want Sharia, then so be it. And individuals should be allowed to decide. Um, so that's my, that's my thinking. It's something that I've been trying to process for, for about a week, because these events don't seem regular. They don't seem like a backlash against somebody for what they call indecent dressing. It seems like a pattern to quell speech. Um, somebody talked about Daddy Yata missing to silence dissent and to impose some sort of new um, moral, moral government, some, some form of cleansing going on. And Nigerians really need to stop it. We need to figure out how we can reject this or begin to define our status as a nation. That's the big um, national conversation we should have. Well, look, well, thank you, uh, Domia. Uh, I, I quite agree. We have to have a conversation and ask ourselves what kind of federal structured, what kind of structure do we want for this country? Uh, my view is that maybe a, a fully federal structure like we have in America, where every state has a, lot, a significant amount of autonomy. So the states that want to practice Sharia will be free to do so. And those that want to practice secular rules should be free to do so. And then the federal government should not be getting involved. So I quite agree that restructuring is the way forward. Uh, real or my boy, uh, the question on this uh, debate about secular, secularism is, I know in, when the issue first came up in 2001, when there was a big uh, demand for uh, Sharia law in, in the northern states, um, General Abbasanjo at the time had the option of taking the case to court to get a declaration from the Supreme Court that uh, Sharia law was not applicable in criminal matters. Well, that never happened. 
And the, the question uh, to you is, do you know why? why? Why has this case, why has it never been tested in the Supreme Court? Uh, well, um, obviously the, the federal government of Nigeria, uh, when Obasanda was in charge, obviously um, he, he came back uh, being uh, a, a former uh, military head of state acceptable to the elites of the uh, of the northern political oligarchy um, to become the civilian uh, president of the new republic and um, and obviously i mean he, he he was in alliance with the elites but uh, further from the elites at the top of the northern political uh, structure you have the young turks who basically began to explore and exploit religious uh, sentiments. And they had built up a momentum uh, after 1999 and the intervening years by 2001 in which the state governors, who we are now looking at re-election in 2003, knew that they had to uh, sort of, you know, own that, uh, up, uh, that movement, very strong underbelly uh, religious fuel current of, um, uh, of, 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 those, uh, of those young uh, Turks in the political space in, in, at that time. So Obasanjo, to be honest, was caught between a rock and a hard place. And the way he dealt with it was to say, well, this is all political. Uh, it is really nothing about conquering Nigeria or turning the whole Nigeria to Sharia. It's really in terms of uh, governors seeking re-election and um, it will fizzle out. You know, we, we tend to deal with things like that in Nigeria, you know, put our heads in the sand and, and call ostrich. So obviously that's, uh, that's how it was handled and uh, challenging that in the Supreme Court uh, was not even feasible because at the end of the day, you are calling into, into the political arena things that are legal. And then when you are at law, it, where do you go from there? But I have an answer and the answer is right before our face because uh, that, that decision not to challenge it legally Obviously, like cancer, it metastasizes, and and the body politic is obviously paying for it today. The the Abonema child or the Baramatu child or the Okene child, who don't have as much resources as before, uh, can is is evident to the fact that that has been a wrong-headed policy. What am I saying? Boko Haram, the war in the northeast the resources deployed to the military to confront an entity that in all intents and purposes have militarized their stance that is basically Sharia. It is nothing more than what we have in, codified in some of these states and some of these practices that my uh, friend Dewumi here has been talking about intellectually. So if we bring it out to the real domestic man on the street level, you can see these tendencies beginning to happen everywhere and play out. I saw a video circulating on social media this week of an army, a crazed as a human being in military uniform, flogging a woman in Ibadan or somewhere for some kind of perceived indecent dressing. You know, so that is happening. And then you see, you see this whole furore that they have raised about uh, some an actress or a model from northern Nigeria, you know, in a dress that we all agree is beautiful, showing uh, her back, <laughs> uh, not immodest in any way, 
and uh, and then uh, all of these calls for her to to be tried for blasphemy. So basically, you know, in in our fight against Boko Haram in Nigeria in the northeast, some people went as far as uh, uh, in their wisdom to create a version of a uh, of a vigilante called civilian JTF to to attack uh, Boko Haram or sort of uh, push them back. We, I also believe that we have civilian Boko Haram, you know, and we know that those civilian Boko Haram are very strong. These are, these are the people that pushed for the Sharia movement. They are the ones pushing for this religious and fascist agenda to police thought, to police moral, and subject all of us to a Talibanist kind of society. I mean, their ambitions are very grand. It's not restricted to their own locale, but they are starting small and they are building out. And like Deumi said, there is inspiration from the top. I mean, this whole situation, I liken it to the nightmare that Americans have gone through in the last four years, where you have the commander in chief, basically uh, being the chief, you know, uh, chief priest of a fascist movement that's, anti that's racist, that's xenophobic, you know, misogynistic, and all of those kind of bad social traits, you know, that they look forward and take inspiration from their commander in chief. So do they do the civilian Boko Harams in Nigeria, before I come to the real Boko Haram and also the police Boko Haram and the military Boko Haram, are they taking this inspiration from the commander in chief? There is an onus on the president, obviously, to come out and push back and push out because. One of the things that I sort of tend to go contrary to popular opinion is that Buhari, uh, Buhari is an old man, people say, but I think he's more like an old brain. It takes time for him to catch up, you know? Uh, he just caught up to the fact that Abiola was sacrifice of democracy. And last year, he made some amends to that. And if he catches up to the point of what is happening, I feel that he has a particular sense of justice that is able to when he's able to finally grasp the implication of what is whatever it is that is happening in front of him, if he is ever presented with it in clear, unbiased manner, that he might make a decision. But then again, this is the hallmark of a theocracy. This is a king we are talking about. We are talking about a benevolent emir. But this is not an elected president of Nigeria. This is not how a president of Nigeria should behave. But this is who we are stuck with. And for that, we have a lot of questions. And these questions are getting you know, granular by the day. We are going to see a lot more of this repression. You know? So everything, like Deumi said, is connected. And we must not, you know, we, we talk about the grand debates about, about national question, about restructuring and all that. How can you restructure the mind when we are all fused together? We need to be able to say, we need to decide. You know, the decision is simple. Do we, do we endorse Talibanistic behavior? Yes or no? Because if you are Kano State and you are drawing from the federal post and you are prosecuting Sharia, you know, can somebody challenge this constitutionally? Can it be done independently of anybody else? You know, do we need to wait for federal government? So these are, the, these are the kind of issues that we must actually put out there, not only in the Nigerian public, but internationally so that they can begin to answer questions. Because to be honest with you, we are at a stage where we are not dealing, we are not dealing with civilian Boko Haram, whether in the police, uh, in universities, in the media, or even among the legal profession. And somebody ought to call these people out, as we are doing here today. No, no, thank you, um, boy. I, boy, I, I, I agree with you that 
we've got to the point where somebody needs to take a stand. If the government is not going to file the lawsuit, then perhaps a public interest group should file a, a sort of class action type lawsuit to ask the Supreme Court to tell us once and for all whether Sharia law should apply to criminal matters as opposed to just civil matters. But because of, we've got 10 minutes, we've got about 10 minutes to go. So because of time, we need to focus on the third topic really quickly, which is the US elections. Uh, uh, Joe Biden is more or less the presumed winner. I know Donald Trump says uh, it's not for the media to declare the winner that it has to be uh, officially done by the I think board of electors. But I think the projections all say uh, Biden is going to be the president elect. So to contributions, I know you live in America. And when I spoke to you earlier today, you said you were driving from Washington, DC. Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Uh, uh, quickly, a quick one minute response. Could you quickly in one minute describe the atmosphere in Washington? Right. Um, so even from my uh, apartment complex yesterday, there were cars driving around honking and in different cities across the US or on television, there's uh, people celebrating. Um, so yes, we did drive as soon as it was announced, we, we said, oh, we're just going to drive to DC and see how people are celebrating. And so we met up with friends just to, just to celebrate and, and to be thankful for what's going on. Um, uh, also very quickly, I want to say this, um, as America, uh, progressed into what we what we described as fascism what we saw was that the people stood up and said no right um it, it seemed like it was going but people stood up and said no uh in nigeria we don't we don't have that we don't have fascism we don't have uh, a president who is a fascist rather we have people who are, have authoritarian uh, tendencies. And that is why we have this continued behavior year on year on year. People keep doing crazy stuff and no one is to, no one stops them. Why? It's because it is a homogeneous behavior across Nigeria. So when we have these conversations of who we should be as Nigerians, it, it's not only how we should be governed, but who we are and how we should treat one another. I think that also needs to be a component of discussions that we should, we should have if we want to achieve the kind of things we've seen the American people stand up and stop. No, thank you, but from, based on what you're saying, it's obvious uh, contributions that uh, you are happy that uh, Joe Biden won. I too preferred him, I think usually my political leanings are more Republican, but in this case, I just felt uh, Trump was a, a cancer on American democracy. He's not a Democrat. He undermined institutions. So I also uh, believe that he should go. So if I was in America, I would not vote for him. But to uh, Phoenix, in terms of policies, uh, it's a one minute response from you. Could you tell us what you think the impact of Biden's victory will be? on Nigeria in one minute. I, I think it's, I think it's, I think uh, when, when I think of the, of the impact on Nigeria, I think uh, it would definitely be different from, from the way Trump looked at it. Trump just, Trump had no, no regard for uh, 
um, for, for, for Nigeria, for Africa in general, and just sort of like let, let things be. And he wasn't, he wasn't bothered about whatever was happening. I think um, if we look at the kind of people that are around Biden and the kind of people that I expect to be in his government, I think there will be a significant focus on Nigeria. I think there would also be an attempt um, to make amends. I mean, the reason why I say this is clearly Biden was vice president um, in 2015, uh, 2016, uh, sorry, 2014, going into 2015, when um, within the Obama administration, they sort of like gave a tacit nod to Buhari um, taking over from, from Jonathan. And, and most people in Nigeria seem to believe that, look, it wasn't even just a tacit nod, it was like a very overt uh, push to, to, to have him take over. And that hasn't gone well for Nigerians. So I saw a statement when during the NSARS where Biden came out very strong, even before the elections, which was, which was, which was um, admirable that he was willing to put a stake in the stand and to show where he, where he stands. The other thing that gives me um, also more reason to believe that there will be an interest in Nigeria is because Susan Rice is a very well-known confidant for, for Biden and is projected, if all goes well, to be the new Secretary of State in, in that administration. And she has a vested interest in Nigeria, always been, I mean, she, all the way back to uh, the Abacha time and, and Abiola hasn't always been perfect, but I think that as well, they will be looking to put some pressure on the Nigerian government and make sure that the human rights abuses that, that we are all complaining about, that, that they get handled. So I, I foresee a different um, and more focused Nigeria agenda um, not not like the one on that Trump where he even dismantled the Africa desk or something as as we know. I believe that there will be more focus and and uh, no. there could be trouble ahead for for our, our our people in power today. Oh yes, no, no. Thank you, Phoenix. Uh, your your one minute is up. I'm I'm also hopeful that uh, well, I hope and fingers crossed that it'll be more engaged. Uh, I'll ask the same question to. Uh, Rila Maboy. Also, Rila Maboy, in, in one minute, uh, tell us, did you prefer Biden or Trump? And secondly, what, what are your expectations? What one minute response? Well, uh, I, I tell you yesterday, um, you know, when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were uh, giving, you know, this speech for me that sort of erased all of the trauma of the last four years. I mean, just to hear human beings address human beings, speak to our, uh, to global concerns, to, to the American people and to the global community, to me as a black person. And just, I, I was so proud of Kamala Harris yesterday. She was, uh, she was just some, I mean, she, she's just something I, you know, I wish every black woman on earth would be, you know, and I'm happy she says she's not, she might be the first, but she's not going to be the last. And then Joe Biden came out there, Joe doing what Joe does, you know, he, he really, again, spoke his heart, spoke truth to America, offered solace, and, you know, you know, he's so, you know, this is the America we know, this is the America we, we, we all aspire uh, to emulate, you know, so, where I was very happy, I, a very strong supporter of the uh, Democratic uh, Party and their principles. Uh, I believe I believe in equality. I believe in rule of law. I believe in strong institutions, and I believe that uh, people should be the center of power, you know, rather than corporations and uh, and and, uh, and and the elite. So, 
for, from that point of view, I was very happy. Again, there's no basis of comparison to say Trump is a, a human being that we, I, I never typed his name uh, in the four years he was there. And I vowed that I will not step foot in America uh, as a visitor to spend money uh, as long as he was there. And I haven't. Uh, I've transited through the airports, but I've never, not really gone to and stayed in America. So uh, I'm happy he's out. Um, you know, like Simon Sander said yesterday on on, on, MS, uh, on TV, the requirement for uh, the election of an American president is 270 electoral votes, and not a concession speech by, by the incumbent. So he doesn't need to concede. He can flare about like a turtle on his back in the sun in the beach whatever it is it can do whatever it wants but we know that trump is gone and ding dong the witch is dead we will dance on his political grave oh no thank you my boy for your summaries but obviously also uh pro biden uh final question is to uh Deumi. also in one minute so could you tell us firstly who did you support and secondly what your expectations are in terms of the nigeria u.s relationship Okay, um, so I think the um, general expectation for the relations between US and Nigeria, I think there will just be like a reversal to the status quo. Um, I, I want to be more cautiously optimistic. Um, of course, I mean, we generally get the sense that the US priorities um, since the World War II has been globalization and Trump was the very nationalistic um, type of person. And a lot of people have argued um, about how that has gone. Some people believe that this has emboldened um, dictators around the world. This has um, caused the collapse of democracy. Some other people believe that the non-intervention approach as well has been um, has been good, like in terms of no more American wars or interventions. So I'm a bit cautiously optimistic. However, I think what's going to happen in terms of very specific actions that we might expect, I do believe that the Nigerian government and some government officials might be subject to the Magnitsky Act. Uh, it's a bipartisan act, but it was signed off by the Obama government, which um, Biden is a strong part of. And his kind of comments and understanding of the issue around NSAS is something that gives us a sense that if properly um, lobbied, then we might see those sanctions extended to um, Nigerian government officials. I also believe that um, there will be significant um, Nigerian influence um, in the Democrat party than ever before. If you notice the wave of the elections, there's been greater Nigerian American representation and I do think that, yes, there might be like a stronger um, policy focus on Nigeria than ever before. But if you listen to Biden's speech, he has already said that we are restoring the days of American um, presence in the global order, going back to WHO, going back to the um, Paris Accord. And so I think there will be a status quo, but Africa should not really expect, and not Nigeria, that this would be the priority. I do believe that Biden will still be focused on the US-China relations, China's place in the world. There will still be that competition or scramble for, for Africa. And um, in terms of the way I see 
um, things shaping up. I mean, uh, I just think that we can start to see that the Buhari administration would um, step up. They would see that they cannot get away with the kind of things that they have gotten away with in the past due to the sort of lack of American interest in domestic politics. Oh, sorry. Then we have to step in at this point because our time is up. But uh, I must first of all thank you all our listeners for always being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. Uh, thank you to all our guests, uh, to you our guests, for taking time out to be on the podcast. But until next week, I say have a fantastic seven days. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Nigel's best, and thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, listeners. Again, um, another call that uh, we still haven't gotten to the root of the Lekki massacre, and we must not be quiet about this. Um, we must continue to make noise until justice is served. Bye, everyone, and have a great week.